Well, good evening, everyone. My name's Brian, and today is August 28th, 2023, and it's a Monday night, and that's another episode of Lots to Talk About. And my guest this evening is a top producer of old-school pinstriping, hand-painted lettering, gold-leaf inscription, and airbrushed imagery on motorcycles, hot rods, guitars, cake mixers, and even top-shelf motorhomes. Writing fills every other available moment for him. He's got a book coming out soon. Uh, He is quick to point out that everyone's mixture of life's challenges is divinely choreographed to help in discovering our true purpose. I couldn't agree more. He had another quote on his profile that I thought was fantastic. And it said, the smartest thing I ever did was run away and join the circus a man after my own heart, if that is the smartest thing he ever did, ah, man, I can't wait to talk to him. With that, I would like to welcome two lots to talk about. Dave Letterfly, and I didn't even ask how to pronounce your last name. I only stopped at Letterfly. How's it going, Dave? I'm doing great. I am doing great. Yep, definitely. Yeah, don't even worry about my last name. Nobody, I have yet to meet anybody that can pronounce it correctly. In uh, my senior year of high school, the, my my last name was misspelled five different ways. So it's always <laughs> it's always been a clumsy name to have. So just, I, uh, just I'm I'm Alexovich, so I I'm right there with you. Uh, uh, misspelled, yeah. <laughs> misspelled, mispronounced uh, every which way. So I'm Brian from the Lot Project. That's a yeah. lot easier. <laughs> yeah, just. Just call me Letter Fly. That's beautiful, beautiful. That's hey, hey, Dave, introduce yourself to um, to the audience. Um, who is a Dave Letter Fly? And uh, then we'll uh, kind of get into and get into where you uh, where you're at, how you got there. Well, hello everybody, and welcome to the show. I grew up in the Midwest, right on a uh, university campus in Ohio, and my uh, my father was a marketing man and a, and a Lutheran minister, and my mother was an opera singer. So uh, there was plenty to do uh, as a little kid around the, the campus. I started to like figure out how to interact with stuff that was probably bigger than me uh, from, right from the get-go. And uh, as I ended up going through and... Uh, going through the ages, I ended up being imprinted with my dad's love for the circus. He was, he just absolutely loved the circus, but, uh, 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 and I remember hearing stories about it and we did have a big tented circus that came to Springfield, Ohio every summer. And when I was just a toddler, my mother took us, me and my siblings to the circus. And I remember walking on that crisp grass in the middle of the summer on the fairgrounds and seeing these tents that had just magically uh, sprung up that morning. And uh, as we were walking onto the lot and I could see the flags flapping in the breeze and hear the tinny voice of the announcer telling everybody to 
hurry over here and he's going to show us some stuff. And I smelled the popcorn mixed with the exotic smell of the elephants and heard the lions roaring in the distance. And my mother confided, she said, your dad would love this. And I was sold on the spot. And it just became a lifetime, lifelong uh, love, I guess. It just, it's been a, it's been a big part of my heart. And uh, so by the time I was a teenager, uh, what a whole bunch of people don't know about me is that being a preacher's kid is frustrating enough because, you know, we were expected to walk on water and stuff. And uh, the other the other thing that was bizarre was my older brother had he produced this bizarre behavior and he was a little clumsy. And because of that, his all of the kids in the neighborhood were picking on him all the time. And so as a little kid, I ended up perceiving the other kids in the neighborhood as not being a safe place to to be. So I uh, I pretty much as a little kid withdrew into creativity and uh, and it was a safe place for me to be and my uh, my mother noticed that i had a gift and so she would encourage me and buy me paints and brushes and blank sketchbooks and stuff and then uh, like i mentioned before the uh show started when i was big enough to see out of the car i ended up seeing the little pinstripe designs on the other automobiles and I had the thought I could do that. And when I got home, I started to put little designs on my wagon and on my bicycle. And then the other kids in the neighborhood noticed what I was doing. And then they'd talk me into doing something for them. And then yeah, I'd go, yeah, I could do that for you. And then I'd be decorating their bike and I'd be thinking, why don't they just do it themselves? <laughs> They so, can. They can. Yeah. so uh so yeah the the so i was always doing something i was always on and i was always creating something and uh the uh situation at home with my how did you do in school how well i always aced music and art but i wasn't uh, and i was fascinated with history but I didn't apply myself the way that you had to apply yourself in order to get a good grade because they wanted to get to memorize dates right. and names and stuff. And I wasn't fascinated enough to bother with doing that. And uh, uh, arithmetic was okay and uh, stuff, but my forte was music and art. That was the stuff you were passionate about. And I mean, that that's really, a, I talk a lot about how they, they kind of pigeonhole kids and stuff like that in school. Um, if they could just let kids pursue their passions and yeah. uh, figure the rest out later, maybe, maybe it would work out. And yeah. I mean, it sounds like you ended up pursuing your passions in the long run. It didn't damage you any to, uh, to, to <laughs> suffer in uh, history and arithmetic. That's right. Yeah definitely yeah by the time i was a teenager i was getting pretty frustrated with the situation at home and so that's when i started to develop the idea that i should go join the circus and what i grew up in ohio 
And freshman in high school, we moved to Bloomington, Indiana, which was kind of good and bad. I got uprooted from the neighborhood where I grew up and thrown into a strange neighborhood. But Bloomington, Indiana is noted for having one of the most one of the best music schools in the in the country. So and since I already knew my way around a university campus, I was uh after school, I was over at the university hanging out in the music building and becoming fascinated, I guess, feeding my uh, passion for for music. And by that time, I was on fire to be a drummer. I was going to ask, what what is your what is your medium of choice in music? Is it percussion? Yeah, it started. uh, Well, since my mother was an opera singer, we were all, all required to take piano lessons. And then in grade school, I played the trumpet. And then I went through a period of, you know, a fallow period. And then uh, freshman year in high school, I was on fire to become a drummer. And I shot right through from the from 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 not uh, not knowing anything about it, all the way up to first chair in the symphonic wind ensemble uh, during the first semester of my sophomore year. Yeah. So it was like. And then I was first chair from then on. And uh, then between sophomore and junior, dad moved the family again. And it was, we landed in the Chicago suburbs, which was a kind of a frustrating thing at that age, you know, early teens. So I was getting pretty frustrated and, but I was big enough. I could ride the train into downtown Chicago and poke around on a Saturday and I found this newsstand that had virtually every magazine that you could possibly imagine on display. And I was looking through all of these, the whole world had opened up to me and I found one magazine. It was called amusement business. And I grabbed it and I looked at it and it was all about fairs and carnivals and circuses and stuff. And that particular issue, had what they called the circus census once a year and i purchased that magazine and i had the name and address of every circus in the country and so when i got home i started writing letters asking them if they wanted a drummer for the summer and uh the next thing you know, I'm getting these really colorful envelopes in the mail <laughs> that has, you know, a big circus design on the on the envelope. And my dad notices me getting all these letters from circuses and he started to figure out, wow, this kid's serious about joining the circus. And he wanted me to graduate from high school. I was ready to go then. And so uh, he made me a deal he says uh you can you know you can be on your own if you want and figure out how you're going to get your drums down to the circus or i'll help you spend the summer on the circus but only if i have the ability to come get you and bring you back so you can graduate your senior year so i spent the summer when i was 16 between my junior and senior year in high school with an little big top circus that toured Appalachia one day stands the tent went up and down up every morning and came down every night we did 
uh, and they had elephants and everything that goes with the circus. And it was pretty, it was pretty rugged. Uh, and I loved every minute of it. And Dad so you played drums. Gonna, you played drums in the circus. I played the drums during the show. I was like what they call the show drummer. I was, in addition to just uh, uh, accenting the the music that was being played, I would catch the when the girls would kick their leg out and accent that with a rim shot or something, and then give them a drum roll to heighten the suspense when they're about ready to do their most dangerous trick. And then, you know, and then all the cymbal crashes and all of that kind of stuff to help make the show more entertaining. So it was really that's, a, that's fantastic. That is, that is, that is the most incredible experience to be 16 years old. Yeah. That's, that is, and, that's, I mean, that's like shooting the big biggest buck of your life the first time you go hunting. Like, did you <laughs> did you sit there and go, man, this is it. This is this is the yeah. height of my life. Um, at, at that point, you have to be set for adventure. Like, was there's a, no going back. Definitely. Oh yeah, adventure. So you went back to school. Did you go back and finish? Yeah, I went back, and since I'd always had a double major, I only needed to stay one semester. So oh, my. Nice. Uh, I graduated in January and my boss was so impressed with me that he drove up to uh, the suburbs to pick me up to uh, go back to work. And the very first thing I did, the very first thing I did was I, I learned how to uh, be a marionette puppeteer because in the wintertime, him and his wife did assembly programs in elementary schools with a marionette puppet show and the idea was i was going to help him with the puppet show and his wife was going to go out and start booking the towns for the circus that we were going to build he was going to take out his own show so we get there and i'm learning how to uh, hold these puppets the marionettes are the ones that are on strings and you're on a bridge up over the theater, leaning over it, and you kind of be careful to not have your, you want your puppet to look like it really is walking across the stage. And uh, so you got to keep his feet on the, on the stage. So it looks, cause you don't want him to be like flying across. So it's like, so I, I learned how to be a marionette puppeteer for several weeks and, uh, then his father-in-law, who was bill posting on a big circus out of Florida at the time, lost his job and became available to come book the towns. So that freed up his wife from having to do the booking so she, she could help him with the uh, marionette puppet show. So I was needed in winter quarters to go help uh, decorate the uh, the. The, the mother show, I guess you'd say, the, the, the real show, what was happening was there's a big family that had the circus and uh, the brothers were, uh, the tension was increasing. So the one brother figured, well, I'll just have my own circus. So I went to winter quarters and I started painting up all of the trucks and decorating everything. And then when the marionette puppet thing was over with, my boss and his wife came down to winter quarters and we started building a circus from from scratch and it was that was quite an experience and then uh 
we hit the road and it was like I fell right into a incredibly successful situation right off the bat. The uh, I was just simply in the right place at the right time. The opening town, we uh, we arrived at the opening town and had no plans for a sideshow. And we had a, a friend of the circus that came over to visit. And it was so it was comical. We were we were strapped. We were out of uh, out of money, out of we had run out of everything, getting everything ready to to open as good as we could. And we uh, went to get the, the one elephant that we were going to use and came back to the opening town and that's when uh melvin discovered he did not have a chain to secure the elephant so he had to send one of the you know the friend of the show down to the hardware store to get a piece of chain but we had no money to buy it so he had to talk the hardware store guy into purchasing sign that we were going to paint on a piece of paper and hang in the big top for advertising for him and he went for it and we got our piece of chain <laughs> and then uh, forget the elephant chain yeah it's like holy moly and then it gets you know it, it's it it's it the the stuff that you just can't make up just kept happening you know Later on, they discovered they didn't have any light bulbs for the chandelier. And there was only one hardware store in that little tiny town. And Lou had to go back to the same guy and talk him into <laughs> a little more advertising in order to get the light bulbs we needed. So, But uh, that town, they uh, decided, let's put the cookhouse tent up and make it into a sideshow. We had four animals. And so the next thing you know, they... Uh, they did that and had an opening and charged people 25 cents to come in and look at the animals. And then they needed somebody to put the tent up and down every day. So I was recruited. I was the drummer. I was done painting everything and done building everything. And I was going to be just drumming the show twice a day. So they recruited me to put the tent up and down. And that came with a percentage of the gate of people going in the so I just fell right into a thing that just became more and more lucrative as the as the circus season progressed and we kept making it better and better and better. And uh, by the end of the second year with that circus, I was uh, putting a uh, like a 30 by 90 foot tent up. I had two men working for me. We had 18 animals on foot and 18 animals in cages and a hippopotamus in a semi-trailer so it was like it was a it was a nice attraction that was winning a lot of money so i fell right into that uh, gold mine right when i was a you know a teenager so that how, was how long did you stay with the circus oh it was uh it not not all of eight years and what ended up happening was my sign painting career started taking off and I gradually treated my relationship with performing with the circus a kind of a more of a hobby. I, I actually kept growing during those eight years. I ended up becoming fascinated with horses. Oh, nice. 
And the next thing you know, I have a six pony Liberty Act that does a precision drill in the in the circus ring, completely loose. And then I had a horse that would lay down and sit up and march and and walk sideways and all that kind of stuff. Were you still playing the drums too? On and off, yeah. Because <laughs> I'd, have to, I'd have to get up from the drums to go get the ponies ready to put them in the show. And somebody else had to sit at the drums for a while. So, yeah. So, so you were basically the one-man the one man circus. It was like, yeah, it got crazier and, there, and crazier, yeah. There were a couple people there helping you. And you were just <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the next thing That's you know, I learned how to play the bagpipes to be an attraction in the sideshow. And then the next thing I got playing the Calliope, which is the, the, the organ with whistles on it. Yep. And then uh, I became fascinated and my fascination with horses kept progressing. And the next thing you know, I have a uh, American saddlebred uh, horse, which is a real elegant horse. And it's, I'm doing the dancing stuff. And okay. I, I ended up uh, making two uh, dancing horses over the period of uh, a couple of decades. So definitely, yeah. My, def wife, my wife and I, um, when we moved into the camper, we were we were thinking of things that we we could do, like that didn't take power, didn't take anything, and so we started looking into. She rides a unicycle. She's rode a unicycle since she uh -huh. was a little kid. And um, so we were getting into different stuff and we went out to visit a friend and at a festival and a friend of his had uh, Diablo and then uh, juggling bags and things like that and yeah. devil sticks. And, and so we started learning that. And I was like, sweetheart, if you could get good at all three of those and do them while you unicycle, we'll never run out of money. That's we'll right. never be broke. We could have our own circus. Yeah, right. exactly. You're reaffirming this. All I have to do is keep uh, learning things to make people come into my sideshow. That's right. Yeah. Learn to eat. So, so you kind of you, you stayed with the circus for eight years. You got into horses. Um, you said your sign business was taking off. Did that all spur out of that first uh, advertising sign from the hardware store? Oh, before then, it was actually before I ever played the drums for the very first time they had the circus people had their kind of ways of figuring out what you were good at and they had figured out that i was good at being an artist so they had me a ticket box i actually painted something for the circus before i ever played the drums for the first time and gotcha. what i what i typically do is i credit my ponies for being for making me into such a good sign painter because they kept eating and which meant I had to keep making money so I could keep feeding them. So yeah, I just learned how to, and the nice thing about the sign business back in those days was wherever you were, you could find work. There was always some place that wanted uh, some sign painting done. It was like the perfect trade for a guy who wanted to uh, travel all over the country. Right. And it, I mean, I can't imagine the turnaround time is too. It's not like you're you're not painting the Mona Lisa. Um, the skill level is there, but it seems like a more straightforward process than like making a huge work of art. Is it a quicker turnaround on the signs or did it take you quite a while? Were you in town long enough to do long, bigger jobs? 
yeah, it depends on the size of the job, how long it takes. Uh, but uh, I was I was always of I, I'm kind of unstoppable. And whenever I would the, the kind of job I did was driven by the need of the customer. Right. You know, they, gotcha. they, they would they would say, hey, I need my uh, I, I need my name across the face of the building. Well, then, yeah, my attitude. My attitude was always pretty much, yeah, I could do that. You <laughs> <laughs> had to go get an elephant to sit on his back to paint it. Yeah. I mean, you did what yeah. you had to do. Yeah, we'll get something. We'll, it, we'll, we'll innovate. Yeah. Right. So, so now, so you got out of the circus and, and kind of rode with the horses. Um, and, and, uh, and, and that sounds very fascinating, the dancing horses. That's always kind of been something that's uh, interested me when I would see it on TV. Uh, how did you end up doing what you're doing now? Oh, it's kind of interesting. My uh, painting career evolved because if you'll remember back in the 80s, see, I was a sign painter in the 70s and 80s, and I was out there looking for fascinating jobs to do. Uh, and that's why I really was, uh, I found a great place to develop my skills on the fairgrounds, painting for the carnival, because they liked all kinds of interesting things. They wanted, you know, happy clowns with giant uh, things of cotton candy, and they wanted a giant Frankenstein for the haunted ride, and they wanted, you know, happy things, and, and all of those people were competing with each other. And they were all using artwork to do it. So it was like the perfect place for a <clears throat> budding artist to develop skills, not only with lettering, but especially with pictorials. And I've always been fascinated with circus scroll work too. So, but ended up the 80s, in the late 80s, the computer had showed up on the scene and was starting to cut vinyl letters that was satisfying the... Uh, part of the market the, the ones that simply right. wanted the, a big a big word across their truck or something the computer was able to do it uh quicker and cheaper so uh i had to evolve and there again it was simply me being in the right place at the right time i had i was in florida and this lady had brought me a giant trailer that had wings that would fold out on either end and then on the roof there was a big thing that folded straight up and it was a giant front that was uh supposed to look like maybe like a dutch building or something and she served uh, uh soft serve ice cream and fruit cups and she wanted it to be a little bit more uh upscale than just a you know a sweet shop so she was after this particular look and she wanted it to look like a sidewalk cafe out front so on one side we put we put a guy sitting at a table and he's got a giant waffle cone in his hand and uh, on, on the table has a big umbrella over it and then on the other side a girl pushing a, a flower cart but it's a fruit she was pulling a fruit cart and the fruit cart had a big umbrella on it and those so these two scenes with these two giant umbrellas were on either side and in the center was the serving 
area and it had you know pots with strawberries growing out of it and little odds and ends and all kinds of decorations and i i painted that whole front for this lady and then she came and picked it up and paid me and then she went on her way to her first event and then a couple days later she called me and said hey you know that little spike that sticks up out of the top of one of those umbrellas and i went yeah and she said well you forgot to paint one of them so it was like oh no so where are you well she was at the <clears throat> tampa fairgrounds and so i threw a ladder in the van and and got what i needed and drove up to the fairgrounds and then at the gate i explained what i was doing they let me in and i found where she was set up and i uh, drove up you know in the middle of the midway where she was set up and unloaded my ladder and set it up in front of her booth and and got the paint out that I needed and went up there and painted it took like two seconds to, to paint that spike on the on on the umbrella and but at the exact same time I made that stroke a guy went by on his bicycle and he stopped and he looked at this big painted front that I had just completed. And he saw me doing the finishing touch. And he, when I came down off the ladder, he comes over and he goes, hey, would you come with me, please? And I, next thing you know, I'm following him. He's taking me in the middle of this giant motorhome convention that's going on. He had just purchased a half million dollar motorhome and he wanted his name painted on the front. And so the next thing you know, I am up on my step ladder in the middle of a field filled with these giant motorhomes. And I'm painting a name on the front of this motorhome and field fielding all these questions from the other motorhome people who also want. Oh, something. Yeah. And it just gave me my next uh, uh, specialty and nice. I proceeded to capitalize on the motorhome. What ended up happening was at just about that exact same time, motorhomes were maturing into the, the big diesel pushers. There weren't any before that, except for like the Prabos and the Silver Eagles that the touring country and western stars used but right. the all the manufacturers had figured out how to make a giant diesel pusher and it was they were just appearing on the market and at the same time it was the uh ma and pa usa were retiring and selling their home and buying a big motorhome to become full timers and those motorhomes back in those days only had a belt line uh, stripe around the whole thing they were pretty plain so they were they liked the idea of having an artist paint a custom image on the exterior so my career morphed from me being a sign painter painting virtually everything you can think of into an airbrush artist that does custom murals on the backs of motorhomes and in order to stay busy as a motorhome artist, I had to chase the work because these motorhomes clump up in a different location virtually every week. So I hit the road again 
And I was on That's the road fantastic. solid for nine years chasing motorhomes. And that uh, is what cemented the name Letterfly in the RV inter- industry. And it attracted the attention of the man who had the largest RV dealership in the country who made it attractive for me to become their resident artist. And I was the resident artist at Lazy Day. That's, that's, um, that's crazy. I mean, that's, that's a pretty specialty, uh, pretty specialty job doing those custom murals. I think Dave froze on me. So, um, we're, I'm just going to ram on how, how you ended up being in the right place at the right time multiple times is something that I'm finding on the road um, that as you're flexible and as you're able to travel, uh, you can really end up in the right spots. You can end up in the right uh, in the right area to be able to accept work. Or, uh, oh, we lost Dave. So uh, anyway, anybody listening, if you have uh, have questions for Dave, I, I imagine he's going to pop back on here. We'll give him a few minutes. But if you have any questions for him uh, coming back, he uh, he was just talking about how he ended up being resident, um, the resident artist at Lazy Days RV, uh, big RV company. If you haven't ever heard of it, it, uh, it was one of the biggest. And uh, that's that's pretty interesting. As far as I know right now, all right, what is going on with the interwebs this evening? I think uh, no one wants this story to get out between uh, this conversation between Dave and I. Um, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. The interweb demons are here playing games. Uh, just until we see if he comes back, I just wanted to mention that if you didn't catch the show this morning, new format rolled out, and uh, I think it was a little successful. I uh, I was um, I was happy with the way it went. It's going to take some timing. It's going to take a little time to adjust and get in that groove, but uh, I think things are going to work out. Think the planning uh, is going to make it uh, success. So, uh, if you didn't check out this morning's show, it was about diving into uh, five systems of control that I've recognized in my life, how I recognized them, the things we're doing to mitigate them, and uh, tomorrow diving into coffee basics, uh, real basic stuff on coffee. But even if you are a coffee snob, you may uh, you may learn something, so it might be worth a listen doing some tips and techniques to get you that perfect cup in the morning, no matter uh, what coffee you drink. So check that out for sure. You're going to want to check it out. And um, yeah, oh, it looks like Dave's coming back here. And uh, here he is. How are we going, Dave? I uh, I was having all sorts of internet issues. I blipped out. Then you blipped oh, out. No. You okay, well, we're back and we're doing it again. So where we leave off? Technology reared its ugly head again. I don't know what I don't know what's going on, Dave. <laughs> okay. I think we're back. Good. Well, let's continue. I was mentioning how uh, for 20 years my main gig was putting custom murals on the backs of motorhomes, and then 20 years. 20, 20 years, right? 
that was a good that was a good gig for 20 years and i got to travel all over the country uh during the summer times uh when, when i was the resident artist i ended up meeting people who had harley davidson dealerships and they would talk me into coming up to their building and putting murals inside their building and that's how i got introduced to the motorcycle crowd because while i was painting in the building the bikers would come in and they'd say hey would you come out and look at my motorcycle and that's when i figured out that a good place for me to be would be in a harley davidson parking lot and the other thing that happened technology had come out with a way of taking the labor out of full body paint jobs they created computer generated paint mask so the next thing you know all the rvs have what's called full body graphics and that's what you see today they're all filled with these big fancy swirls and the people that buy them are happy with the way they look so they're not thinking about something to make it look better and the other thing is digital prints that they wrap on virtually everything it just completely made uh, uh, the the market for a hand-painted airbrushed mural just sort of obsolete. There's so you've, no been, you've been pushed out by, by technology twice. A couple of times, yeah, definitely so. But I keep uh, finding another niche. That's, and that's all you got to do, right? You, as ta- If you have the talent, if you have the talent, you're going to find a way. And I... I think once you taste that, uh, you taste that freedom of uh, finding your own way, uh, you just figure it out. Um, so you met yeah. up in the motorcycle, the motorcycle crowd. This, this, um, when I saw that you did uh, custom pinstriping on motorcycles, that I'm like, I don't, uh, I don't ride, I, I don't own one, uh, but big fan of looking at, at cool bikes. My whole uh-huh. life. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I ended up uh, from the from going to the first Harley store that had me paint a bunch of murals on the inside. That led to another one and another one and another one, and uh, that's when I started developing. And with my background around the carnival, I ended up figuring out how to engineer myself a portable booth that would also qualify as an art gallery with examples of art to put on display that I could assemble and put in the uh, parking lot in front of a Harley Davidson store that the guys could roll their bikes in for me to put some artwork on them. And uh, that's what I, that's what I do. And it's just like being with the circus. Once again, I'm at a different Harley Davidson store every week. I set up my booth in their parking lot and then I service the, uh, you know, the customers that come in and out and then the inventory, the salesmen, actually, they enjoy having some uh, custom artwork on some of the inventory bikes to make them more appealing so they can sell them uh, easier. And uh, I even will do a little song and dance on garage night when they have a party or when they have the hog chapter meeting. I'll give them a 20 minute talk about what it is that we can do to make motorcycling more fun and so it's just a good fit you know having uh, do you make your way up to sturgis no i quit going to the big events that's uh it's 
Sturgis and and uh, Daytona and Myrtle Beach are kind of uh, it's got it's maddening. Yeah, and, I, I can see that. I can see. Yeah. I, I mean, you're you don't you don't need to beg for work. I can't imagine. I mean, no. you're, uh, you're you're yeah, <laughs> especially nowadays. It maybe at one time you had to go to Sturgis, but nowadays. I can put an ad on Facebook that tells everybody that I'm going to be in Philadelphia for a couple of weeks right, and, right. and generate traffic to the store. And I, and I'm at, I like the pace at a Harley store too. I've got time enough to do the other things that I'm passionate about. I'm writing books. I've got one book published already and I got uh, four, you know, three more in the works and one is right at the, at the you know just about at the starting gate right now it's wait wait you have you have one that's already out and you have four more on the way but one so pretty soon it's going to be two and then you got another four after that no 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 it'll be uh a grand total of well it'll be more than that eventually <laughs> but there's, there's actually after this next one goes out which will be number two i got two more that are actually done with the exception of the proofing and the all the yeah. stuff you got to do, there's so much stuff you got to do. So it'll be a while before I got four of them out, because uh, so, it takes takes years to write, get a book done. Yeah. So you were and, telling me you were telling me the the next one that comes out is in a couple of weeks or it, very soon. Um, but um, you have one out. You want to talk about the one that's out, and then we'll talk about yeah. the one that's coming up. Oh, yeah, I'd be happy to. Yeah, you can go find uh, the one that's out right now. It's on Amazon. It's called Speedy, Hurled Speedy. Through Havoc. And it started as a way to honor my dad. Because my dad and I had an interesting relationship. Because he was like a source of frustration when I was a ki kid. Uh, you know, enough to make me want to leave home to get away from it. But then, as the result of... I guess maturity and then getting knocked around by uh, situations on the road, he ended up realizing I was having a, the time of my life. And he came and spent one summer with me when I was uh, painting on the carnival up in, up in Michigan. And we had the ability to not only bond, but we became the best of friends. So the book started as a way to honor my dad and kind of tell his story a little bit. And then, uh, explain, you know, how we uh, uh, merged into becoming best friends. And then there's enough of my story in there, too, uh, to, uh, to, to make it interesting. It's pretty much memoir. It's just okay. actual stuff that happened. Now, uh, so many people started to uh, commend me on the writing of that book, and it's getting good reviews. And they would say, Dave, you're living such an interesting life. There's a lot of people that would love to do what you're doing. You should write a book on how. And so I ended up going, wow, that's a good idea. I could do that. So my next book is called Hit the Road and Thrive. Seven Secrets for Living the Dream. And my idea is I want to make this it's. It's not a full length book. It's kind of a guidebook. And I, what my idea is, I want to make this available to people so that they'll have 
what they need to muster up the gumption to get up off their couch and go out and find an adventure. So I'm actually going to make the the ebook version of it available for free on a website that we're building right now and it's going to be easy enough to remember it's going to be daveletterfly.com that's pretty and, easy yeah and so it'll be it'll be a place for people to go and they can uh, uh, get the free download or they can go to Amazon and purchase a, a, a regular copy of it which um, and everything and then uh, introduce because I want uh, other, I want everybody to enjoy the life that they live. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a lot of why I do this. Um, not just the interview shows, but I do a morning show every morning. And I try to expose people to the, the fact that you don't have to do everything that you've been told your whole life is the, is the proper path. Um, go to college, get a job, work, and then retire. Like, that's not that's not right for everybody. Yeah. It's probably not right for many people, but uh, you know, if I can wake up a couple people, um, that's perfect. So yeah. the interview show too is really yeah. exposing um, people that have done it and and really their why and and why they did it. You nailed your why from the beginning. You got uh, you got the itch. You you got the opportunity <laughs> to go and experience adventure at sixteen years old. Um, man, there couldn't have been a better gift to set you up for what you've done. Uh-huh. Yeah, the sequence was perfect. When when you look yeah. backwards to your life, yeah, the sequence was perfect. Definitely. So so you're still traveling around. You, you were telling me before the show you do a seven-month tour and, and kind of mm. stop it at yeah. dealerships and paint, promote the book, I hope, while you're there. I mean, if you're there already. I give away as many as I sell. <laughs> I mean, you got to You got to I mean, when it's a when it's a work of passion, um, it just you want to spread it. You want to give it out and you want to spread your like your successes and, and the, the realizations. Getting that out there is more important than any dollar you can make. Um, but oh, especially so especially I, if it'll influence somebody's life right exactly exactly and i've gotten to the point where you know i'm trying to find things that i want to do for for income that i never want to stop doing like yeah. i i don't i mean i'm sure that you don't mind painting you 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 probably go do something else if you wanted to change your mind but you, you continue to do it um I, it's a love I, of yours and it's been there from the beginning it's fantastic yeah and it's actually the the sequence is perfect because like during my 40s and 50s, I was standing on a stretch plank between two step ladders working on a giant mural on the back of a motorhome. And now in my 60s, I just turned 70. I'm sitting on a little stool and I'm making a design no bigger than a football on a fender of a motorcycle. So it's like, that's something I can continue to manage. And I've got a friend in Indiana and his name is George and he's 85 years old. He's still painting signs. And when I saw him this summer, 
when we met at the RV Museum in Elkhart, Indiana, uh-huh. where I was donating a bunch of my old artwork from when I was the resident artist at Lazy Days, he met me there and he confided to me. He said, my dad quit painting signs when he was 85 years old. And the first thing that happened was he lost the dexterity in his hands. And so George told me, I am not going to quit painting signs now that I'm 85. And so it's like, holy moly, I've got you know, I've got plenty of career to look forward to in the piano. People you, say, people will watch me work and they at the end of the day, they go, my God, you must be exhausted. But I am as <laughs> real delicate little moves that you make with that floppy brush. You, uh, are you going to, are you going to rekindle a new career? Any new careers? I think we might have froze again. Go Dave. ahead. Um, do you think uh do you think you're gonna you're gonna just paint paint out your days or or is there gonna be i know you're writing the books yeah. and that goes right along with painting but so is there i am be as relaxed as you can see yeah you still there bud did you uh do you, th- do you think you're gonna take any new paths any new uh new hikes I still got you there, Dave. Well, I have been fascinated with developing my Toastmasters. And Toastmasters is, I hope so, connected. It says connected. Nope, I got you. We're good. Are you, are you here? You do? Okay. Because uh, uh, I have have been developing my speaking skills. I'm a member of Toastmasters because I can see myself up on a stage. And it seems like it would be a logical progression, moving from being a drummer at the circus, entertaining audiences live, and then finding an art form that communicates for a longer period of time via paint and then develop into a a book author for the sake of and these insights that I've accumulated as the result of an interesting life and then become a speaker for the sake of uh, being able to influence and inspire large groups of people. So, yeah, I see my, uh, as the years go by. I'm, uh, I'm excited to see Dave the speaker. 
Oh man, I think we hung up again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we got some we got some big lag going on, Dave. I think. Uh, I uh, I am definitely. I'm gonna get all your links in uh, in the video description. I'm gonna get them in the audio description. Um, the book that you have out. I will get links to the the site that you're putting up for the for the new um, for the new book, and uh, I also believe you had a you have letterfly.com. I think is is out there right now. Um, I want to get all those things in there. I want people to be able to follow along and and support your stuff and and check out your books. And and I, I apologize for the internet connectivity problems. Yeah, um, definitely. I, <laughs> you know how you we, um, we we all should have a big dream. What yeah. So um hey, if you want to take a minute um and you want to uh, leave the audience with anything, any words yeah. of wisdom. Uh, go ahead and then uh, and then we'll wrap up and I will uh, and we'll get you out of here for the evening. I think it froze. Shit. All right, I think Dave froze up again. I'm gonna have to catch up with him after I uh, I I apologize for the internet issues. I think I had them both on my end and his end. Uh, we're having a little problems with freezing up. What a fascinating story. And I really encourage you to grab the links in the video description, the audio description. If you're hearing this on Monday night or Tuesday, uh, Tuesday morning, um, it might not be updated yet because I'm going to have to get a hold of Dave and make sure I get all the, the information from the show to get those in the link. Please circle back. It'll be updated in uh, in the in the blog post. I will make sure everything is available and then I'll share it in the Telegram group and all across socials when I get all that information. So I appreciate you guys hanging out. Uh, again, I apologize for the for the uh, internet issues. I hope you had a good evening and uh, we're going to wrap up here and I will talk to you in the morning.